Well, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be in this space and to be able to open up God's Word with you. Uh, you know, one of the benefits of uh, this time right now, as crazy as it is to uh, be in this space where we're live streaming services, uh, is that I've been able to check in on my dad and make sure that he is still preaching the straight and narrow. Uh, so as I was doing that, I actually uh, was able to, to hear a little bit of the journey that you all have been on through the book of Philippians. And as it would turn out, uh, our church plant has been going through the book of Philippians as well. And so uh, this past week, as I was thinking about Father's Day, uh, I texted my dad and said, hey, uh, we're already going through Philippians. Is there any way that I can kind of come alongside you as you're figuring out uh, what it means to reopen and uh, just all the details with that? So uh, it's been really cool to see now how this opportunity has come to be uh, and how uh, God's just been doing some really cool things through the book of Philippians. Now, it's a really crazy time to be alive, right? How many of us back in January would have been able to look forward and say, in June, every church in Northeast Ohio is going to be doing some kind of online thing? I heard somebody joke recently that the worst investment of 2020 was a a daily planner, right? Because who has plans anymore? I remember back in March when my calendar was full and all of a sudden it all stopped. And we're still wondering... How far out could we plan and when are things going to start to change? And we're learning a lot of things in this time as well, right? This moment where everything has kind of paused and there's kind of this moment of reckoning where we're trying to understand what life is like now. It's kind of forced us to take stock and to consider some things that maybe we've taken for granted. You know, one of those things is the ability to be together, How often do we take for granted the fact that we could drive to church on Sunday morning and sit among other people or even just gather in homes and and enjoy a meal together? Remember what that was like. And so it's appropriate then that as we open up Philippians, and particularly right now in Philippians 2, that Paul has so much to say about what it means to be together and to experience community together. You know, last week, our church plant team, we were able to gather in a park socially distanced and to worship and to open up God's word together. And it was an incredible time because there's just something about being in person that is important. Uh, I've heard people joke that people who were not huggers before on the other side of this, they're going to be huggers, right? People who maybe weren't physical touch kinds of people, right? We're going to be high-fiving and, uh, and handshaking whenever we're allowed to do that again. But we're learning how important it is to be together and really what it means to be a community of people. You see, we're experiencing the distance right now. We're experiencing the isolation right now, and we're realizing that there's more to being community than just sitting in a pew or sitting in the same room, that there's something about being the church that is important and significant to those who follow Jesus. And this is where Paul has now taken us in Philippians chapter 2. He's uh, led us through uh, this explanation of Jesus and what he did for us. And this incredible uh, hymn that he explains Jesus' emptying and then his, his, uh, his being crowned king. And then he starts to play that out and say, here is what this looks like. Here's how you live together in this way. And so last week, Paul kind of turned to him his own example and said, here is my life and here is what this looks like. 
And now he's going to turn to some other folks in the church, some other people that he has spent time with. And this morning, we're going to look at Timothy. We're going to look at the example of Timothy, because Paul's going to hold him up and say, there's something about Timothy that you need to pay attention to. And so we're going to look at his example. We're going to uh, look a little bit closer and say, what is it that Timothy understands? What makes him such a good example? And then we're going to talk about how we can live that out in our own lives today. And so this morning, I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. Here's what this says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. This is God's word. So Paul is writing to the Philippians and they're going through kind of a difficult time, right? Paul is writing to them from prison and he's writing to them to say, here's what life looks like together. And he holds up Timothy, he says, I'm sending Timothy to you. I can't go, but Timothy is going in my place. Now, I want you to think back to the last time you were maybe at the store, you were on the phone, and the person on the other end of the interaction, they weren't quite understanding what you were saying or what you were asking for. And maybe you then said, hey, can I speak to a manager? This is essentially what the Philippians are saying. They say, we want Paul. Paul, you know who Jesus is. Paul, you have gone through hard times. We want your encouragement. We want your wisdom. We want to know what you have to offer. And, and so when Paul says, I'm sending you Timothy, they might have a reaction similar to you if you asked for the regional manager and instead you got the assistant to the regional manager. But Paul says there's something about Timothy that you need to see. Something that is going on in his life that you need to experience. So we're going to look at what that is. So I just have three points we're going to talk about from this passage. The first is this. Why Timothy's example is so extraordinary. Why Timothy's example is so extraordinary. Second, we're going to look at the secret to Timothy's example. The secret to Timothy's example. And third, we're going to look at how to live that secret out today. So first, let's talk about why Timothy's example is so extraordinary. You know, Paul is commending Timothy to the church. And in his recommendation letter, he he uses this uh, phrase. He says, they all seek their own interests, not the interests of Christ. Now, if you're paying attention to what Paul has said, he, he's actually taking a phrase or a sentence that he used before, and he's kind of inverting it. He used to say, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. But now he's saying, they all seek their own interests, not the interests of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, but Timothy is different. And so who is Paul talking about? When he says they all seek their own interests, who does he have in mind? You know, is he saying, oh, this group over here with their opinion, they're seeking their own interests, or this group over here, they're seeking their their own interests. Who is he talking about? You know, if you look at it a little bit closer, the word that Paul uses there actually could be translated everyone. 
that everyone seeks their own interest, not the interest of Christ. See, what he's saying is you and I, in our default orientation, we live for ourselves. You and I, in our default settings, we live for our own interests. And every single one of us does this. That if we were left to ourselves doing what we most naturally want to do, we would choose our own opinion every time. We would seek our own interests every time. We would prop up our own thoughts about what is right and wrong with articles and stories to say, my interests are the true interests. He's saying this is our default mode, is selfishness and individualism. Now that's a hard word to hear, but if you think about it, we see evidence of this all over the place. If you've ever hung out with a group of toddlers, you see this all over the place, right? They don't naturally share. They don't naturally think about the people that are around them. They have to be raised and trained to learn how to share and to learn how to think about other people. It is their default orientation to think about their own interests. If you have been married for more than a day, your spouse has learned that you seek your own interests and not the interests of others. Just as they have learned and you have learned, right, that they do the same thing. And this is one of the beauties and the challenges of marriage, is that two selfish, individualistic people join this thing that's bigger than themselves. Right, so we all, in our own default orientation, seek out our own opinions, our own interests, the thing that matters most to us. And the challenging thing that Paul says is that way is contrary to the way of Jesus. You see, individualism, living for your own interests, your own thoughts, your own opinions, is contrary to the way of Christ. He says it right there. And this is especially hard for us in this day and age because we live in a world that just thrives on individualism. We live in a have-it-your-way culture. You can have it your way on your burger through the drive-thru. You can have it your way with the facts that you say are true and the news stories that you prop up to say this is what is reality. We live in a have-it-your-way culture as it relates to our feelings and what that has to say about our identity. We live in a have-it-your-way culture that says whatever you think of your gender and sexuality is true. This is the world that we swim in. And so it's incredibly important for us to realize this, that individualism is contrary to the way of Christ. And that it's not natural for us to think of the interests of other people. And so Timothy's example is so extraordinary because Paul says everyone seeks out their own interests, not the interest of Christ. But then he says, Timothy has proven his worth and he's proven it by serving me as a son serves his father. So what is it about Timothy? What has he come to understand that made such a difference In his life? How did he get over himself and live for something that's bigger than himself? To live to serve Paul and to serve the church. What happened? And so we're gonna look at the secret to Timothy's example. You see, when Paul talks about Timothy, when he says he doesn't seek his own interests, he seeks the interests of others, 
he has this phrase in there that he uses. He says, he served me as a son serves a father for the sake of the gospel. See, here's what Timothy has come to understand. He's understood that when he was transformed by Jesus, when Jesus' life, death, and resurrection became the thing that he lived for, something else changed. Timothy went from being an individual to being a member of a family. You see, it's no accident that Paul uses the family language there. He, he says, Timothy went from being an individual to now living as a son, serving me as a father, because this is what it means to live life together. And family is a, such an important idea here, because if you think about it, family is a direct challenge to individualism. Because right? individualism says, my opinions and my interests are the most important thing. The way that I live and the things that I want to do are the most important thing. But family challenges that in every single way. I mean, just think about this. Like you weren't existing in kind of a preconception state, looking down at the world and kind of picking and choosing what family you want to be a part of. Right, that you kind of had uh, your pick and choose and say, no, this family is too awkward and he tells too many dad jokes and you know, I, I want to be a little bit better looking than that couple. No, that's not how family works. Family is something that you are born into and that you learn how to live into. See, family is a direct challenge to an individualistic way of thinking. Because the reality is, is that family is way more than just the people that you spend your time with, right? It actually runs through your DNA. Your DNA actually points to who you're related to and who is a part of your family. And the thing about Timothy here, right? He, he could have said one day, he's like, okay, I'm looking at Paul and I'm seeing that Paul is kind of on this trajectory towards success. And so if I serve Paul, maybe one day I get, to, I get to take Paul's place. Maybe I get his authority. Maybe I get to have his influence. That would be him thinking about this in individualistic terms, right? But Timothy, instead, he realized this truth, right? That the people of God are the family of God. The people of God, the church, are a family that is formed by the blood of Jesus, that exists and lives for him and not for individuals. You see, when Paul says that Timothy serves him like a son serves a father, the secret that Timothy is living into is actually the secret of the DNA of the family of God. You see, when Timothy serves Paul like a son serves a father, he is just following in the footsteps of Jesus. The same Jesus who just earlier in this passage, Paul talked about how he, he left heaven, he emptied himself, he became obedient to the point of death, and then God exalted him above every name. This Jesus forms the DNA of the family of God. That Timothy serves Paul as a son serves a father because he follows a son who served a father even to the point of death. You see, you may have heard that phrase, that blood is thicker than water. It's kind of been used to say that family is the most important thing. That family is what ties us together, what holds us together, no matter what goes wrong, through thick or thin, we are together. And this is most true for the people of God known as the church. That we are formed and united by the blood of Jesus. 
That when Jesus set aside his own interests, when he willingly went to the cross and died for our sins, he was creating a family that is shaped by this DNA, that is created by his blood. You see, this is the secret that Timothy understands. That this is the way of following Jesus together. I mean, just think about that story of Jesus the night before he was going to the cross. He's in the garden. He's praying to his father. He's having this conversation because he knows what's coming. He knows the pain and the suffering that's coming. And he says, if there's any other way. But then he says, not my will, but yours be done. You see, this is the DNA of God's family. It's the DNA of the Son of God who gave his life for us so that you and I could be united to God and united to that family. You see, this is why if you're tuning in or if you're kind of part of what's going on here this morning and you, if you were honest, you'd say that you're not yet a Christian or you're not sure where, where you stand with Jesus. I want to give you this analogy. If you think about the family of God being a dinner table, Right, and kind of maybe a family gathering, like maybe a Thanksgiving dinner. Right? It's becoming part of the family is moving from kind of the invited boyfriend to the betrothed fiance. Right? There's a significant difference between when you kind of first go to a family gathering of someone that you're dating. It's kind of awkward. It's kind of a little weird, right? Because maybe they take a family picture and they're not sure whether you should be included because they don't know if 10 years from now they're going to remember who you were. But becoming part of the family of God, there's a, there's a change that happens around that family table when there's a ring on the table, right? When there's a covenant that's coming, when you say, I am joining my life to you. And that changes everything. And so you may be here and you may be hanging around the idea of church and maybe even checking out a live stream thinking, okay, it's been a while since I've been there. Like, what is this like? What we want you to know is that we want you to move from kind of the invited guest to a member of the family. And that's what happens when you join yourself to Jesus. When you recognize that his life and death and resurrection paid for all of your selfishness, all of your individualism, all of the times you live for your own self. It paid for all of it. Which means that the way to join the family of God is simply to say yes to Jesus. Yes to the offer of grace and forgiveness that he extends to you. You see, it's no accident that the Bible uses wedding imagery all the time to talk about the new life that Jesus wants to bring. That the moment that you join yourself to Jesus, it's like the family throws a party because someone else has now found a seat at the table. And this is our prayer for you, is that you would join us at the table of the family of God. You see, this is the DNA of God's family, to serve others because we follow the Son of God who served his Father. And so what does it look like for us to live this secret out today? Right? If Timothy understood this and it motivated him in this way, what does it look like for us in this day, in this age, in this year to live out this DNA as the family of God? I want to give you just three characteristics of this DNA from the example of Timothy. Just three words. The first word is this, empathy. Empathy. See, empathy is the ability and the willingness to listen to and sit in someone else's pain. 
The ability to listen to and sit in someone else's pain. We see this example in Timothy, right? Paul says he was greatly concerned for them. He was thinking about them. He was worried for them. Empathy is the first mark of being in the family of God. To be able and willing to listen to and sit in the concerns of other people. To understand them. To feel what they're feeling. To sit with them in the difficulty. And so, just think about kind of the ongoing conversation right now about mask wearing. Right? Wherever you are in your opinion about wearing a mask, whoever you're listening to says, this is what mask wearing means. I want you to just consider and set those aside for a second and look solely through the lens of empathy. What does empathy demand of us as family as it comes to wearing a mask? I was talking to a friend this week and in the middle of the pandemic, his wife had a baby. And everywhere he goes now, he wears a mask. And some people give him looks, some people say things about him, some people feel like he's a safe person. But he would tell you that his greatest concern and the reason why he's willing to wear a mask wherever he goes outside of his home is because the worst thing he could imagine was something happening to his new child. And so empathy would stop and listen to that. To not see a mask and say, okay, here's what I think I know about him. Here's all the things that I think he's saying with that mask. And instead, stopping and listening to his concern and his anxiety around that. To say, I'm willing to hear you. And I understand a little bit better the things that you're carrying. And what if our first response to people, when we are gathered together in this space again, and we, we see some wearing masks and others not wearing masks, what if our first response was to say, I need to understand. I need to, to listen to what you're concerned about and be willing to sit in that moment. We could lean into this a little bit more, more and we could talk about the reality of race that has now again come to the forefront of our conversation. I was talking with a, a black brother in Christ recently, and he uh, mentioned this comment kind of offhand, but it kind of struck me. He said this. He said, a white Christian and a white non-Christian have more in common than a white Christian and a black Christian. A white Christian and a white non-Christian have more in common in our world than a white Christian and a black Christian. And I sat and thought in that for a little bit pondered it, chewed on it. And I I started to think about this text and what it means to be the family of God, to say that two people who are are united by the blood of Jesus, right, could possibly see the world in such different ways and be so divided by everything else. And so if we set aside the politics and everything else that is being said right now, and what if we just look at this issue through the lens of the family of God and we listened to people who are in our family and we sat with empathy to understand their concerns, to hear their anxiety and their grief, to listen to their experience so that we might understand what they're going through. Right? This is what empathy demands. You see, Paul says, look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let me tell you, that is not a suggestion. That is a command. You see, understanding the world through someone else's eyes, being willing to put yourself in someone else's shoes is not optional as a Christian. It is an obligation, which means that when we follow Jesus, we should be the first 
to listen and the first to seek to understand, especially those who are in our family. And so the first mark of being a member of the family of God is that we should extend empathy to people around us who are going through hard times. The second mark is service. Service. It's being willing to care for people and meet people where they are in tangible kinds of ways. See, Paul sends Timothy to the Philippians and and Timothy, as far as we know, he doesn't put up a fight. He doesn't say, Paul, I really like Ephesus because their climate's a little bit better. So I'd rather go there than Philippi. He just goes and he serves the church because he's serving his father in the faith, Paul. And all throughout the New Testament, we see Paul doing this with Timothy. He says, Timothy, go. And Timothy goes and he spends time there and he serves the church there because Paul said, go. So what would it look like for us after we uh, extend empathy to then say, how can I care for you? How can I love you in this moment? You see, here's the thing. If you skip empathy and you jump right to service, right? You may end up serving someone not based on what they need or what they feel, but what, uh, based on what you think is right. And you might even be serving out of your own self-interest rather than their interest. This is why empathy is so important to listen and to sit in the pain of other people, to then be able to say, my brother, my sister in Jesus, let me serve you. And the last mark of the DNA of God's family is unity. It's unity. To say that the most important thing about us, the thing that should define our relationships, define our understanding of each other is that we are family that we belong to each other because we belong to Jesus. You see, this was Jesus' prayer the night before he went to the cross. He prayed that the church would be unified, just like the Father and the Son are unified. And he said, the more that we are able to be unified, the more that the world will see just how real Jesus is. And in this moment when it seems like everything is divisive, what if the church was seen as the place where unity thrives. But now here's a warning in this. Right? If we skip empathy, and if we skip service, and we move right to appeals for unity, we might not be appealing for unity, we might be appealing for our own comfort. You see, if you're not willing to listen to the pain of people who are in the family... If you're not willing to serve them and to give of yourself to love them and care for them, and you jump right to unity, you're denying the pain and suffering that they have. And you're saying, just be quiet so we can continue on in the status quo, the thing that makes me most comfortable. You see, unity is the fruit of empathy and service within the body of Christ. As we learn to walk in the shoes of someone else, as we learn to understand their pain, as we learn to serve them, out of that, Jesus and the Holy Spirit will bring about the unity that he prayed for. Because we'll start to look at each other as members of one another, as the family of God. So empathy, service, and unity. And you see, these things are not optional because these are the things that Jesus did for us. Paul just talked about this. You see, Jesus empathized with us so much that he would leave heaven and walk literally in our shoes as a human. And he would empathize with our suffering, with our pain, with our need for forgiveness to the point that he would sacrifice his own life. 
He would serve us to the point of death. And through his empathy and through his service, he would then unite us to God. And through that union, unite us to one another. And so as we seek to live out this DNA, to be this family of God, what we are really doing is we are living out the way of Jesus. And as we understand that we are family, because we follow the Son of God who gave himself so that the Father might experience and share his love. As we live out this way, the world will see just how real the gospel really is. Because they'll see Jesus at work through his body. And so my prayer for us is that this would be true. That in Northeast Ohio, that in Northfield and in Akron and everywhere in between, that the church would be empathetic for one another, that we would understand that we are family, that we would serve each other, and that through that, Jesus might bring about the unity that he prayed for, that he died for. So let me pray for us to those ends. Father, we thank you for Jesus, that he empathized with us to the point of he walked this world with us, He was willing to serve us to the point of giving us his life and that through that, his blood unites us to you and unites us to one another. And so God, may we understand that we belong to each other. May we understand that we are family, that we're not just passive participants that sit together in a row, that we are family. And that that means that we live for one another. May we learn to get over our own interests as we see how you served us. And may your church be a place where people experience the family of God so that they might know the Son of God who died in our place to unify us to you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.